Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Sometimes you just got to love technology. I, and you know, I, I would like to think of myself as a pretty competent technological human being. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of my work on a computer. I know how autosave works. I constantly am com, uh, pressing command S, which for you non Mac users is a shortcut to save. Yet, as I sat down last week to record a podcast, um, kind of jumping off, piggybacking on uh, the last sermon from our series called Our Aim, I'm talking about making disciples, planting churches, and the last piece of renewing the city, I somehow lost the content that I recorded. And it kind of bums me out, although it's still very much a work in progress, at least it gives me a chance to restart. Um, But just a heads up, on this sermon, uh, this sermon, this podcast, is meant to go back two Sundays uh, and sort of build off of the piece uh, of renewing the city that we started to to get dig into a little bit more. And, and honestly, like I said, um, we just there's never enough time to talk about these pieces of our of our mission at Sacred City Church. There's so many um, rabbit trails that you can go down. You can work out the implications further and further and further, which is part of the reason why I'm grateful to be in Nehemiah uh, for the next several months. Which is it is a story of city renewal. Um, when you pair Ezra and Nehemiah together and see what's going on in Jerusalem. And so at least there's some opportunity there, but I wanted to kind of come back uh, and show my work uh, on on this piece of city renewal and, and connect some theological dots uh, to help people see and understand why um, city renewal, like renewing the city, is part of our mission of Sacred City Church. So it's a little bit like uh, when you're in school and you're getting into more advanced math and your teacher, you know, is expecting you, gives you a problem to solve, and it says that you have to show your work here. You've, you've got to prove that you have the competency to get from point A to point B and land on the right answer. Um, and so that's kind of what this is. I'm doing a little bit of, of theological showing my work, uh, or thro- showing my theological work, rather, um, to show you how we land up on, land on renewing the city as a central piece of our mission at Sacred City church. And really, um, it's sort of the wedding of two things, um, two theological concepts um, that we have received from God and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first of which, um, going all the way back to the first page of the Bible, uh, that is the cultural mandate that God gives to Adam and Eve who are functioning as the, uh, the representatives of all of humanity. When God tells them in Genesis chapter one, that they need to fill the earth and subdue it. Um, 
Be fruitful and multiply. This is Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And then we see that this uh, one, that, that Adam needs Eve to accomplish this work, that he can't do it alone. Um, God says it's not good that man should be alone, and so he makes a helper fit for him. Um, so he gives this mission, gives a helper to the mission to Adam. Uh, and then they they work together. They, they, they tend the earth, they work the garden, and exercise um, this dominion that God has given them. So God uh, gives them, he delegates his own authority as the creator of all things, and he says, I am entrusting you, Adam and Eve, the the uh, pinnacle of creation, the, the people who bear my image and have uh, a unique... Um, competency and uh, the ability, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? You have a unique capacity to do things as image bearers of God. And so God gives them uh, this responsibility to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, what, what this means um, is that they are to, this is how I would say it, they are to extract the hidden glory of creation in order to glorify God even more. So it's like this. It's it's like an artist who creates, who paints this beautiful painting, and you stand back from afar. Uh, you know, you're, you're like 40 feet across the room, and, and from afar you can see, wow, this is magnificent. This is something uh, spectacular. But the closer that you get to it, uh, you start to see the, the fine details that make this not just a giant, you know, uh, magnificent, mural, um, but something that you can get into the intricacies of it, and you dig deep, and you see the details, and the, f- the closer you get, the more and more impressed that you are. You're extracting the glory, the hidden glory, because from distance you can't see it, but the closer you get, the more you can see it. It's like that with humanity and God's creation, that we are to extract the hidden glory that God has implanted in creation so that we could be even more blown away by the genius and glory of our God and Creator. And so these are this this cultural mandate that God gives Adam and Eve as as the representative of all humanity um, is to basically it's what instigates all kinds of scientific discovery. It's what instigates um, societal progression. So the idea that that we um, can have infrastructure like um, civil engineering, road systems and sewer systems and electrical systems and nuclear energy that supplies that and wind and solar energy, all of these things, the scientific discovery that fuels um, civil advancement and progress are are all embedded in this kind of discovery. Things like um, the discovery of the toaster oven and um, your, your iPhone, the technology that your iPhone requires uh, to be of any sort of use to you beyond being a just just a paperweight. All of those raw materials that are necessary uh, are, are implanted in creation. It's the hidden glory of creation that as we uh, live on the earth, as we tend to the earth, subdue it, um, we exercise dominion, we extract that hidden glory, we get to see this uh, societal progression, this, this sort of human advancement that takes place as we improve the, the locale in which we are, are operating 
in. So this this is the cultural mandate applies to all humanity. That's why you've got guys, not just Christians, but guys like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and and Bill Gates and and other guys who are known for their innovation and discovery and, and archaeologists that are over there that are are extracting um, artifacts from the earth and mining all of these things. It's not just Christian um, industry. It's all human industry that is meant to uh, extract the hidden glory of creation. Now. The difference between um, doing this in a God-honoring way and a man-centric way, or a God-centric or a man-centric way, is that the aim in which you do this either aims to glorify God, which is what the cultural mandate was intended to do, or it's aimed at elevating man. So a perfect example of this is is in Genesis, uh, I believe it's Genesis 11, when, or 10, yeah, 11, uh, when you get to the Tower of Babel. What we're seeing here as they're developing the city, as they're building a, a, a glorious tower, um, one, they're, they're not spreading across the earth as God has intended them to do. They're, they're sort of uh, centralizing themselves. Um, so they're not expanding. They're not multiplying in, in, in across, of the, across the earth. They're staying um, central, and they're kind of uh, uh, consolidating all this manpower they have, uh, not to glorify God, but rather to glorify man. And so this is why God comes down. They say, hey, we're going to build a tower, and God will look at us and say how, how awesome we are. He'll see how great we are, um, right? So they're centered on the glory of man rather than the glory of God, but God easily in one fail swoop sort of comes down, um, scrambles their language and destroys these, this effort and then scatters them out. So when man is is rebellious uh, to this cultural mandate, God actually has a way of of putting them back on track is which we, what we see in Genesis chapter 11. So for a, uh, for a Christian, for a uh, worshiper of God to fulfill the mandate, uh, the cultural mandate, it, it is to bring glory to God. Um, rather than to bring glory to man, which is a uh, the city of man. Augustine would, would speak of that, um, the dis- difference between the city of God, which exists for God's glory, and the city of man, which exists for human glory, the glory of man. Um, and it's futile, and it's not going to work out in the long run because it'll eat itself up. Um, and so in, on one case, uh, the big theological piece that we have that comes at the very beginning of, of the, uh, the Bible uh, is this cultural mandate for all humanity, fill the earth, subdue it, tend to it, multiply it, uh, exercise dominion, extract the hidden glory that God has implanted in it for God's own glory. Now, because we're fallen creatures... Um, that, that cultural mandate came before the fall entered the world, and God reinstated that cultural mandate um, with Noah after the flood. So it, it still exists. It's still standing. It hasn't gone anywhere. But in order to rightly fulfill the cultural mandate, which exists, you know, the, the to fill the earth, subdue it for God's glory, extract the hidden glory for God's glory, we have to disciple people, which is why we have this other mandate, the discipleship mandate, or, or the Great Commission, as it's called, and Matthew 28, which is towards the end of, it's it's the inauguration of a new era um, with the new creation. Jesus appearing as the firstborn of the new creation, and he's giving, just like God did at the beginning of, of, the, of the first creation of the old order, um, Jesus is giving a new mandate that actually runs parallel and is connected to that cultural mandate in the making disciples of all nations. So when he says, um, says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Jesus is showing us the way that you fulfill that cultural mandate 
is by bringing is by this tandem work of the Great Commission. That if you're going to fill the earth and subdue it for God's glory, you have to disciple people. You have to train them in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and and disciple them and bring them into the covenant through baptism. And so these two things, um, though they are distinct from one another, they they sort of run together in tandem. Um, they're distinct yet they're related. So when we come to this thing, and, and this is these these two things when they're married together, is what leads us to this concept of of city renewal, of renewing the city in a way that's not just city advancement on on the terms of the city or the culture or society at large, but renewing the culture in accordance uh, to God's word and as disciples of Jesus. So it's a very specific kind of city renewal that covers all categories. So just think through this. When we talk about city renewal, um, the first thing that people tend to think of is is this aesthetic beauty. Um, and so, well, into this, does city renewal include aesthetic beauty? Yes. Um, one of the ways that we can renew the city is by creating beautiful spaces, um, whether that be shared spaces or even our homes, using our homes uh, as places to exercise hospitality or just be uh, aesthetically beautifully pleasing, where the one of the ways that you exercise dominion is by keeping a well-cared lawn. Now, you don't have to go bonkers over this. I mean, you can easily waste too much time if you start spending uh, more time uh, maintaining your lawn than you are discipling your kids or making disciples uh, of other people in your mission community, then you've got some priorities mixed up. But part of caring for and and renewing and and working for the beautification of our spaces is going to be include keeping our lawns nicely kept. Um, so that that's one of the ways of the aesthetic beauty. And this goes beyond that to you know keeping your your property in good shape, being a good neighbor in that regard. That's one way to love neighbors is by uh, you know upholding. You never want to be the city, the this uh, the house in the neighborhood that has the you know people just try to divert their eyes from whenever they drive by. Uh, you want you want it to be a place where people look at it and say, yeah, that's nice. Um, also goes into your home, like uh, ma- manicuring your home in a way that that cultivates hospitality. Right, you're exercising dominion, um, and in this you're ex- extracting the glory. And you can get into the artistic principles and and homemaking principles that that we can say, hey, we've arrived here as part of the cultural mandate. I mean, whether you're listening to Rachel Ray or Chip and Joanna Gaines on some of these hospitality and and homemaking tips, uh, like we can borrow that. We get to plunder the Egyptians, uh, which I don't I don't know where either one of those people are when in regards to their faith. Um, but anyway, that's besides the part. But that that's part of the cultural mandate. So there's this aesthetic beauty, um, but also we realize that the city is composed of relationships, um, and and they start in sort of a in. Uh, if you think of it in spheres that move outward, so relationships begin within your family. So one of the ways that you work to renew the city through relationships is within your own family, striving to have godly relationships and ordering your home uh, according to the Word of God. And that's actually going to be one of the next things that I tackle in this podcast is how do we actually build a godly home, going through things like marriage and 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 raising children and good neighboring, things like that are coming down the pike, so I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, but you see that that internal circle, that internal sphere of 
of your own family. And then you go on beyond that, you might say, okay, then relationally, your church family comes next. Um, people who are next of kin, really, um, not necessarily by blood, but by the blood of Christ that you've been united together. And so those relationships within your church family, that's why there's such a priority and emphasis in the New Testament on main, the maintenance of the covenant family and how we are to interact with one another as the body of Christ. And then you go beyond that uh, to your neighborhood, people who are not part of the covenant family, but you're in close proximity to, how you interact with those relationships, how you be a good neighbor. And that goes into your your you know, your work spaces, uh, the, your coworkers, uh, your gym mates, your um, your hobby buddies, like that that gets into the next sphere. And then even beyond that, maybe people that you're not necessarily connected to. Um, relationally, but people that that we have uh, directives from the Lord to be mindful of. So the wed- widows, the orphans, the poor, uh, the downcast, the bereaved, um, those are, are maybe the next layer of people that, that we need to work to uh, relationally bring racial, or racial yeah, I guess racial restoration is part of that too, but that's a whole nother subject. Um, but, but people, those relationships in the city that need to be renewed um, and, and we can work toward a restoration Innovation of those relationships. So we've got aesthetic beauty, we've got relationships, um, which kind of uh, encapsulate a lot in that. And then you get into some of the civil and societal elements of, um, and, and also there's another piece of the church, how the church works for the renewal of the city. Um, and But then also the civil and societal d- dynamics of city renewal as, as part of developing a society, developing a uh, developing institutions that operate according to words, God's word, um, that bring honor to God. And so we can't, as Christians, just stand back and say, well, the government is what it is, and we just got to deal with it um, according to the cultural mandate that, that God has called us into, um, which exists for to, to develop and to steward and use resources for God's glory. Um, part of what falls under that is our government sphere, the governmental sphere and societal sphere, um, which are two unique, distinct things, but also connected, um, uh, very, very tightly connected. And so we have to be thinking about ways that we can be working to um, renew our city, whether it's through legislation um, and having the best laws on the book, that laws that honor God, um, and and working towards that end, having Christians represent us um, in the civil sphere, which is something that people. This is what baffles me: um, is that one of the things that I, when I get into this conversation, people tend to push back and, and say, "You know what? The church needs to stay in her lane. Um, the church needs to just stick to this whole thing about making disciples and and you know our." our the city, the the government, the society is is pretty neutral, um, and we just need to kind of like stay in our lane and do our thing, and kind of like you know, it's just this real passive kind of engagement with the city. And first of all, I think that mentality is just wildly biblical. And I think the reason that why people um, land on that is they've been indoctrinated by a secular society, a secular culture, one that that has um, really held fast to a misunderstanding of the, the dichotomy between the church and the state, the separation of church and state, um, that I think is very prevalent in our society right now. And we need more biblically minded Christians, people who understand the word of God, um, to stand in and say, hey, we got this wrong. Um, it, it's not a separation of church and state where 
where the, the church has to zip her lips and she doesn't get to say anything in any re, regard to the civil or society societal realm. Rather, there are lanes. There are specific roles that, that the government plays and there's specific roles that the church plays in these dynamics and we need to reclaim and recover those. So it's very clear in, in Scripture and I've touched on this before and we, I'll have to come back to this again because um, there are rising conversations about Christian nationalism. And and for some reason, it, uh, I think it's a, because there's a lot of misconceptions about that, um, why people think that's a big, bad term. And and really, if we understand those terminolo- that terminology correctly, um, as Christians, it's something, when we have it rightly defined, it's something that we can say, um, actually, yeah, that, that is probably where I land uh, as a Bible-believing Christian. So w- there, there are some of that stuff in play that, that we have to... Um, we have to think through. We have to be biblically minded. Um, and again, I, I don't have time to, to deal with this, but that's all, also part of this um, this conversation of how do we renew uh, in a societal and uh, in a governmental way? How do we renew the city? And so, to that um, to that rebuke or to that word of caution that you hear from a what's mostly liberal Christians, Christians who have been more impacted by uh, the society than they are the Word of God, um, they, they become subversant, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, they become subject to the government or to the culture or to the society rather than realizing that that the Word of God is over all things, that God is governing all things. Now, this gets into a theological discussion uh, that's called the Two Kingdoms Theology. Um, that That is important to understand it. And it kind of breaks down like this. This is something that, that has been popularized by uh, a guy named Michael Horton. He's one of the biggest champions of it, and, and he's written about it extensively. Um, but he talks about there, he borrows from um, th- this idea of Augustine when he um, talks about the city of God and the city of man. And he says, well, that, that means that there's essentially two kingdoms. Um, there's the kingdom of the world and there's the kingdom of heaven. And we can agree, biblically speaking, um, that there are, in fact, Jesus talks about the domain of darkness, or excuse me, in um, delivered from the domain of darkness. That's in Colossians, uh, when the Apostle Paul is writing about that. Jesus and and the the kingdom of the beloved Son. So there is a there's a differentiation between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Um, which, you know, implies two kingdoms. Um, you get Jesus where he says to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, right, I, I would have angels here. Um, and so he, he even acknowledges like there's two different domains um, going on, the, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. Um, but here's where, uh, and I agree with that, um, but here's where this theology gets a little bit wonky, is that it, it suggests that... Um, that rather than Jesus exercising dominion over um, all things, all of creation, like Colossians um, one tells us, when when Jesus, uh, when we're told that G- Christ is preeminent, that that he's he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. So Jesus is the head of all things. And then in, in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Um, and so part of the way that this theology gets a little bit a little bit cockeyed here is when it suggests that Jesus, who has all authority, which he says um, in the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. 
um, it says, it, it recommends that Jesus, though he does have all authority, he's not exercising all authority. That that this the city of man or the kingdom of this world, Jesus is sort of like hands off, um, that he's not really exercising dominion. He's sort of like looking at things from afar, uh, making sure things don't go too far off the rails, but he really is not... Um, exercising any dominion, which is is out of out of sync with the rest of the Bible. When you read through the story of of the exile of of uh, the Jews going into Babylon, um, it was God who was who was raising up and using pagan nations. So those people who would have been considered um, part of the city of man or the kingdom of the world, God was exercising dominion over them to utilize them for his purposes. And so the city or this two kingdoms theology, I I don't subscribe to it. And uh, this is not a um, this is not a central um, a doctrine that you can disagree with it and we can still have fellowship here at Sacred City. Um, but but this is a piece of this theological distinctive sort of trickles down and brings a, a more um, robust understanding of what it means to renew the city. And so what we suggest, what I suggest, is that Jesus is in fact exercising dominion of all, over all things, that all authority is in fact his. Um, over all dominions, all kingdoms, all principalities, all rulers, Jesus has dominion. Now, the, the question is, are those kingdoms, are those governments, are those human structures submitting to Christ as Lord, or are they rebelling? Now, this this is this is um, where you start getting into um, the myth of neutrality that that a, a society, that a government, that a, um, a a civil institution can be set up as neutral, that it has no worldview, that it has no no inclination, inclination, no no theological bent. Every society has its its um, uh, presuppositions. Every society has a worldview. Um, uh, Wendell Berry says it like this: that there are no there are no secular spaces. Um, everything is sacred. It is either sacred or it is desecrated. So everything is meant to be under the rule of God. Everything is meant to be set apart as holy unto God, but it, it's either doing that in obedience to Christ, which requires the the not, not only the, the cultural mandate to build a society, to build a government, um, but the great commission to disciple the nations, to do it um, in submission to Jesus for God's glory. Um, or it's in rebellion against it. It's either Christ or it's chaos. Um, and I go back to the Kuiper quote, Abraham Kuiper, who says, there's not one square inch in all creation where the Lord Jesus doesn't put his finger on and say, this is mine. And that's a paraphrase. I, I don't have the exact quote lined up. But he, he ex- ex- expresses the lordship of Jesus, the, the total domain of Jesus over all creation, not just in the kingdom, uh, like the, the kingdom of God realm, but also in the kingdom of, of the world realm. And Jesus is exercising. And what happens, what we see this, this prophetic, um, thing happening, it's sort of a, 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 it comes to us first in Daniel chapter 7, and then it's repeated again in, in Revelation 11, where the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of Christ. Now, in order for that to happen, um, all of the evil, all of the wickedness, all of the self-glorification that the kingdom of this world is about has to be purged. Like, like the wickedness, the sinfulness, the rebellion gets purged from this world, and, and it, it comes through the form of judgment. And then the goodness, the, the the beauty that's been established 
in the kingdom of of the world in the name of Christ will stand for eternity as heaven and earth are are united as one. And so we have this, it's a theologically consistent worldview that the work that we do now in the name of Christ will stand for all eternity, which is, it gives our, our existence right now as disciples of Jesus Christ, as we aim to um, renew our homes, to renew our neighborhoods, to renew the church and bring reformation to the church and the churches at large, um, and to renew our city, what we do now in the name of Christ will stand for all eternity. Um, and, and so this this is feeding into, we're moving towards something as Christians. We're not just hanging on tight till Jesus comes back, like, like we're just counting down the, the clock and buying time. We're actually giving ourselves to something meaningful, and, and we're commissioned through not only the cultural mandate that's given to all humanity in uh, re, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then repeated again in Genesis chapter 9 to Noah, but then paired with that, what Jesus what Jesus um, institutes is the Great Commission um, of making disciples of all nations so that they can actually fulfill the cultural mandate in its greatest sense for God's uh, God's own glory. We see that in Matthew 28. And so it's in the wedding of these two things um, that we have this this idea of, of um, renewing the city. Now, what do we mean by renewing the city? What is that? What what what? Um, we could say it like this: renewing the city means that we want to see our city become more Christian. And if you are a Christian, you should be able to say that unapologetically. The, to to be a Christian and to hold to the commands of Jesus means that you are uh, you are required to not only desire that but work for it. It's in the Great Commission. To make disciples of all nations means that we want to evangelize so that more and more people will come to a saving faith, a saving understanding of their Savior, Jesus Christ, and to submit to him as Lord. And so we want that. That's the most humane way to exist. Like a Christian who doesn't want his neighbor to become a Christian does not have the heart of Christ. To have the heart of Christ means that we want that for our neighbor. We pray for that. We act for that. And part of the way that we do that is by building a culture, a, a counterculture to the culture that, uh, that, that runs um that runs parallel to the city of man, um, seeing the, the, the city of God um, uh, sort of manifest within the church. We want to build a Christian culture in our churches, and we want that to seep out into our community where we are seeing Christian representation in our legislation. We are seeing Christian um, representatives in our government that are advancing uh, uh, what is what the laws that are most just, that reflect uh, the law and the decrees of God. We should want this. Uh, we should be unapologetic in this as Christians. And a Christian that doesn't want that is does not love their neighbor. Uh, plain and simple. If you do not want to see a more Christian society, you do not love your neighbor. It is not loving to let your neighbor continue on in rebellion against God. You know, you can't force them that. We're not talking this top-down authoritarian, you must believe or you'll be punished. That's not at all what we're talking about. Um, that That's very much, that, that's more like a jihad law than it is um, this Christian vision for um, the Christianization of a society. But Christians should want um, to see their city become more Christian in every phase, within our own households, within our neighborhoods, within our, our um our businesses. We want to see more Christian um, ethics 
just being used, the Christian values and virtues being implemented where honesty and integrity, fair scales, um, meeting the needs, not exploiting people, doing good work and excellence unto the Lord and not to man. Like those are the things that we want to see in our city and we should be working for it and unapologetically um, be working for it. Now, let me share a quote from, from Joe Rigney. He says, however, those who call for Christians to seek the good of the city by embedding ourselves in, in its institutions and pursuing God's justice often fail to reckon with the fact that two of the main instances of this do-gooding in the Bible resulted in a lion's den and a fiery furnace. Apparently, some Babylonians didn't find our do-gooding to be all that good. So listen, if we are seeking the welfare of the city according to the city standards, um, according to, to the minds of, of unbelievers, yeah, we're going to run into this pinch. We're going to have people who say, we don't like the way that you're working to renew the city. But at the end of the day, who gets to determine the standard of goodness? Who gets to determine the standard of beauty and excellence and, and virtue? It's God, not man. And we are loving our city. We are loving the people of our city uh, most genuinely when we are operating according to God's standards and not the standards of man. And so, listen, as we work to renew the city, as we get Christians in, in representation um, and people who reflect Christian values and conservative uh, values, we're, we're going to find ourselves running um, opposed. Like there are people who don't like that. The darkness hates um, the light. So we're, it is not a win for us to do the work of city renewal and not have anybody bat an eyelash at it, you know, and, and not to have anybody turn their head and say, wait a minute, what's happening here? Um, we're not trying to go incognito. That That is not... That is not what the Christian life is about. And any sort of attempt to renew the city under the radar, this sort of covert, um, keep the name of Jesus sort of muted and discipleship muted, it is not, it is not honoring to the Lord. It's not, it, it does not reflect any sort of thorough and, and comprehensive and consistent biblical values and virtues because the, 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 uh, the commission of the church is to make the name of Jesus known. And as we do this, uh, we see city renewal happening. And so that that's where I'm at with this. And this has always been um, part of what we, this has been what we mean when we said from the very beginning that we want to renew our city. We want to build a more Christian city. We want to work toward a Christian society because that is where the good of humanity is wrapped up in. When, when God ta- talks to uh, Jeremiah, he tells him, listen, when you seek me, um, you'll find the welfare of the city. You, the, the welfare of the city is wrapped up in seeking me. It's not by seeking um, human invention, um, standards of, of what is good and what, what welfare is. It's when we seek God. And so that's what the church is called to. Now, over the last 10 years of being uh, a church between us and Sacred City Davenport, God has been gracious to mature our our definitions of what we what we mean. We've gotten more practical. We haven't just left it in the sort of abstract, you know, make the city a better place, but actually gotten into the ways in which we, as Scripture commands us to, make the city a better place. When we talk about renewing the city, we're bringing in the cultural mandate, fill the earth to subdue it, to develop it, to build a better city, um, and then to disciple the nations, to disciple the people who are in our city, um, according to the Great Commission. 
Now, Gary Namar says this uh, as he's speaking of, of this relationship between the church and the city and talking about societal renewal and, and working for uh, uh, the advancement of, of, of a Christian society. He says, one of the greatest obstacles to dominion in the name of Christ is the church's identification with the ways of the world. Thus, it becomes difficult to differentiate between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Just as Israel was told to separate itself from the pagan practices of the surrounding culture, the early church was separated itself from believers and practices of a society energized by Greek and Roman thought. And do not be conformed to this world, this is Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12 and 1 Peter 1.14 speak to this. He says, the task of dominion, which includes making disciples, is curtailed when the church seeks to be relevant by adopting the standards of the world and preaching them as gospel. See, this is one of the things that has happened throughout history, that the church is trying to conform to the culture, trying to stay hip, trying to stay relevant, trying to stay in the loop. And I think the days of cool Christianity are gone. I, I think that's the case. Uh, the day, like, to be a biblical church is going to be unpopular in the eyes of our culture. And to be a popular church means that you're probably operating in um, unbiblical spaces, right? You're, you're, you're veering from the Word of God, you're trying to be cool, you're trying to fit in, and that's just not what we're here for. We're here to make disciples. We're here to train our children and those who are coming into the covenant by God's grace, teaching them to obey all Jesus has commanded. And as we do this, and if we do it rightly, if we do it well, city transformation will happen. It starts with the places where we already exist in. So you go to work as a Christian. You work not to please man, but to please God. That means that you do good work. You do honest work. You do excellent work. You serve others through your work. You don't do it for self-gain. You don't do it just for a paycheck. You do it unto the Lord. And we can have great confidence that when we obey God, things will go well for us. Things not, not go well for us in the sense that there will be no persecution or there'll be no sort of animosity. Uh, you know, I feel that on a daily basis almost, that, that even, even from Christians uh, having this sort of animosity towards this sort of theological discourse uh, where we unite the, the Great Commission uh, and the cultural mandate and say that, that all of Christ for all of life, um, that Jesus speaks to every aspect, every little facet of our life gets brought underneath the lordship of Jesus, which means that we need to strive to build better cities. Uh, and there's some real practical ways, which I covered in the sermon on how to do that, which really start in the home. So that's where we're going to go into the next phase. Uh, but for this, I just want to show my work. Why do we talk about city renewal? Well, it's because we've got the cultural mandate and we've got the Great Commission. And the way that you do the cultural mandate is through the Great Commission. Uh, and as we do that, it requires us making disciples of, of the people that we are in proximity to. Uh, which is your home. So next up, talking about building a godly home. Uh, what are the marks of a godly marriage? How do we raise godly children? What are the, are the uh, practices uh, of those things? And the kind of generational impact that doing this can have. Because it's going to take it's going to take a long time. We've got to think the long game on city renewal. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of progress I'll see in my lifetime. Uh, but I do know that if, if my sons 
uh, have been trained in the ways of the Lord, if they ha- have been instructed to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, as I'm commanded to do as a parent, that uh, the Lord is gracious to a thousand generations, and that he can continue and build off the work that's done in this generation into the next, and from there into the next, and the next, and the next. And I don't know, I don't know, but I do know that God honors faithfulness, and um, may- maybe we'll get to see a, a Christianized um, quad cities. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be incredible to see a city that actually reflects the kingdom of heaven? Now, this doesn't mean that every person, and again, I, I got to come back and do some clarity stuff here eventually. So if you got questions about this, send them to me. I want to answer them. I want to work through these things with you uh, so we can can ha- have some sort of unified vision of what it is we're up to. Um, but wouldn't it be great to see the, like, the kingdom of heaven uh, as it is like right here on earth? Um, and, and right here in the Quad Cities, I was just, I think that that would be incredible. And I think that people would benefit, and I think that that, that would be part of the good works, uh, which lead to the people uh, who, who don't yet know God our Father, um, lead to them glorifying God as Father as well. And so I think that this is part of it. These are part of the good works that we've been saved to do. Um, not just stay in our lane and put our head down and, and, and take whatever real estate the culture or society says that we can have, but realize that all authority is Jesus. And he commands us to do this, to renew the city, to make disciples, to, to build Christian societies, to see the discipling of nations um, starting with our own homes. And so Let's get after it, guys. Let's do it. Let's let's be people uh, who who obey and do the word, not just hearers of the word. Um, and we want to pray for, just like we saw with Nehemiah last week, we want to pray that God would do this, that God would give us the provisions, that God would would break through the barriers and the strongholds that hold us back from doing this, either personally, but also within our culture, that he would be uh, look upon us with favor uh, and give us blessing in this endeavor of renewing the city. And so uh, I'm, I'm for this. This is what I'm about. This is what we're about as a church, and we hope that you can be uh, in this with us as we seek to make much of God, extracting the hidden glory. And listen, the hidden of, hidden glory of God um, is not just in, in creation, in, in the non-human spheres, uh, but the hidden glory of God is within every human being. And the way that that's extracted is by discipleship. And so let us give ourselves to discipleship. Let us personally, like the, the hidden glory of God that's in me that has not yet been w- revealed as, as I'm moving from one degree of glory to the next. That's what it is. That's what sanctification is. Let's give ourselves to that. Let's give ourselves to discipling others so that we can see their hidden glory come out. And let's give ourselves to discipling uh, those who are not yet part of the church family or the covenant of God, covenant people of God, discipling them so their hidden glory can be revealed uh, for their good and for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So that's it. That's what I got for today. Let me hear your questions. Let me hear what you're wrestling with. I, I want to interact with you. I want to dialogue with you. Maybe, maybe we can sit down and have a cup of coffee. I love that. I'd love to talk about these things. So hit me up, Sam at sacredcitychurch.com or just uh, shoot a message on Facebook or, or text me. You probably got my number. So uh, hit me up and let us continue this discussion course on renewing the city because it is what God has put us here to do. I'll see you on Sunday.